Everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Matt Eddy to break down the Mets system. Matt, the Mets have certainly been an interesting franchise, full of drama over the last couple of years, but they actually had a pretty good year. They went 86 and 76, their first winning season since 2016. We saw them debut Pete Alonso with a historic rookie year. Jeff McNeil showed he could perform over a full season. Saw players like Dom Smith take a step forward. And of course, the pitching staff with Jacob DeGrom at the front. On the one hand, the Mets have not made the playoffs for three years. There's always seeming this hanging dysfunction over them in a way. The trade for Edwin Diaz did not work out at all. But at the same time, when you kind of strip all that away, it seems like there is a young talent base to work with here. You obviously have a very good rotation, although Zach Lewis is a free agent. And you look at this farm system, again, they've debuted helpful players throughout this decade, and it actually seems like there is a decent amount of talent that can help the Mets here in the coming years. I think most of the major league contributors are already, have already debuted in New York. Um, at, you know, on the horizon, I think the next guy up would be like some of the pitchers at the back of the top 10, such as Thomas Sapucky or, or Dustin Peterson or Kevin Smith, or David Peterson, rather or possibly the shortstop, Andres Jimenez. But I think most of the impact guys, if they're going to make the playoffs in 2020, have already reached New York. With that, the Mets do have some very, very talented players. We mentioned Jacob deGrom acquiring Marcus Stroman middle of the season. Uh, Noah Syndergaard had a down year, but there's still a lot of bat-missing stuff in there. We've talked about Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. J.D. Davis had a great year. Ahmed Rosario broke out. So it seems like they don't need a ton to come up from their farm system, but they do need some help. When you look at the Mets, you mentioned having some of those back-end starters, maybe some complementary players. Having a deep roster does go a long way towards surviving over a 162-game season. Are those complementary players really going to be enough to supplement the talent on the roster the Mets have right now? to get them from 86 wins to 90, 91, 92? Or do you think a big free agent addition has to be made? Uh, a, a trade could also be explored because they do have, I think the top four prospects would have a lot of trade value based on their upside potential. Uh, those top four being Ronnie Mauricio, shortstop, uh, catcher Francisco Alvarez, and then a couple of draft picks this year, Brett Beatty and Matt Allen. But the thing is, is, the Mets played really well in the second half. They had the third most wins in baseball. Um, over the course of the season, they had the second best offense in the National League by the advanced metrics. They had four of the top 50 hitters by the advanced metrics. Really, their deficiencies on the major league side were in pitching depth, you know, the bullpen in particular, and team defense was not particularly strong. Those are the areas that they should be addressing for next year and perhaps a return to form from Edwin Diaz would go a long way. You mentioned the the trade did not pan out in 2019, but, you know, Diaz is still a Met for 2020. See if he can have a bounce back season and make that one look a little better for the Mets. You mentioned those top four prospects, and I want to dive into them with you. This was your 10th year putting together the Mets top 10 for Baseball America. Ronnie Mauricio ended up being the number one overall prospect for the Mets heading into 2020. In your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the Mets organization, how much of a slam dunk was that, and how much debate was there? 
Mauricio was pretty uniformly viewed as the top prospect, the most talented player. Um, you know, I think that might change over the course of 2020 as people get more of a look at Alvarez. There seems to, he seems to have that kind of it factor to him, Alvarez, um, but he's only played in rookie ball to this point. And he's a catcher, which carries its own set of risks. But Mauricio handled himself in the South Atlantic League at age 18. Um, he did not dominate the league by any stretch. He's no Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. But if you compare him with his um, uh, Luis, Luis Garcia of the Phillies, who's in the same July 2 class as him, by comparison, Mauricio dominated that league. And um, I think the scouts who really know what to look for and, and what not to look for, they really like Mauricio's potential to fill out and develop an impact bat. You mentioned that impact bat. I got a comparison on him earlier in the year that really intrigued me, physically looking like a young Hanley Ramirez. Now, obviously, hmm. the skills might not be on the same level, but you see that lanky, long-limbed, six-foot-three athlete who makes a lot of loud contact. It's a switch mm -hmm. hitter, both sides of the plate. He can really drive the ball. What, for you, does Ronnie Mauricio end up being as a player when all is said and done, if he stays healthy and things go according to a somewhat normal trajectory? Uh, I would say the best-case scenario is first division third baseman. is is the realistic upside on him, you know, somebody who could bat uh, three, four, five in the lineup, play third base at a, at a high level. Um, and like you say, hit 270 ish with some, with some power, 25 to 30 home runs. And that's an all-star 270, 25 to 30 home runs playing a really solid third base. I mean, that's, that's a very, very good player that a lot of teams would like to have. And, understandable why he would be the number one prospect in this system as well as a top 100 prospect as he is you mentioned Francisco Alvarez and this was a very very highly regarded signing in the international class last year I remember talking to some scouts in spring training and he immediately jumped out to them as mm -hmm. someone to look for uh, having the it factor as you mentioned as well as the physical skills went out and hit 462 in the Gulf Coast League before quickly <laughs> getting promoted to the Appalachian League. He ranked as the number one prospect in that league this year. Matt, what is it that evaluators are seeing that has them so high on Francisco Alvarez? And you alluded to the fact he could be the organization's number one prospect at this time next year. Yeah. He has this rare combination of bat-to-ball skill and natural power, uh, especially straight away into into the opposite field it's, it's a really rare combination for a hitter that young especially a catcher and and he has this athleticism for the position where he's not already like a 40 or worse runner he's probably in terms of in terms of home to first he's probably already in the 50 range which is remarkable uh, and then you pack then you layer in these raw defensive tools where he has solid receiving and a plus arm and you know all catchers need work when they're that age, but you can see the outline of a, you know, all-star ceiling catcher. With that, we see catchers a lot really, really impressed in the lower levels. And then they kind of peter out in the upper levels, the physical demands of the position. It's very, very tough for a catcher to really stay strong all the way through, especially for young catchers. What have evaluators seen from Francisco Alvarez that gives them faith and hope that he will be one of the guys who can overcome that? For him, it's, it's the work ethic. I mean, this guy 
there's this great story that I, that their international scouting director, the Mets um, former international scouting director, told me about how Alvarez grew up working for his dad and his dad's construction company. So he was lifting these 50 pound bags of concrete when he was 12 years old. I mean, it just, it just, there's really no comparison to, to kids in the U.S. who wanted to play baseball. You know, that sort of upbringing, it's, it's so rare. Like maybe in the old days, he would be, you know, country strong or farm strong, you know, but he, he is that equivalent. And he's got like, just this, this amazing work ethic that comes up whenever you talk to the Mets, you know, He's, he's already learned English, you know, he's putting in the work to condition his body. There's, there's all these sorts of little attributes that point to him having what it takes. We've seen the Mets international program deliver some very talented players in recent years. Ahmed Rosario being one of the more recent ones to make his mark in the major leagues. And having two international players at the top of their uh, top prospects with Ronnie Mauricio and Francisco Alvarez it does seem like the Mets international scouting group has done quietly a very, very good job at least this decade in finding talent abroad. For sure. Uh, Andres Jimenez is in that group too. Uh, he played a double A this year. I think he was 20 years old. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly has been a strength of the system, but we can't overlook that, you know, had, <laughs> had the Mets not made some trades, they would have Jared Kellenick and Simeon Woods Richardson, you know, probably at one and three on this list right now. That would have been my next question is where those guys rank. Kelnick being the surefire number one, but mm-hmm. Woods Richardson for you would have jumped Francisco Alvarez and been the number three prospect in the system behind Ronnie Mauricio. Yeah, I think that's where I was leaning. I could see a case for Alvarez, but you know, Woods Richardson has done it at low A, you know, made it through a full season um, and his stuff held up. Kalanick and Woods Richardson were two very highly regarded draft prospects. Obviously, they were traded Kalanick in the Robinson Cano-Edwin Diaz deal and Simeon Woods Richardson in the Marcus Stroman deal. The Mets added two additional very highly regarded preps in the draft this year, drafting third baseman Brett Beatty in the first round and right-handed pitcher Matt Allen in the third round. Now, while Allen fell to the third round, he was considered a first-round talent. There were some signability concerns. Clearly, the Mets were able to get the signing done. Beatty and Allen come in at number three and number four in the system over Andres Jimenez, who has been a top-tier prospect in the system for a couple of years, got to double-A, plays the middle infield. What, for you, elevated the newbies, Beatty and Allen, over a guy like Andres Jimenez, who has done it at higher levels? I think just the ultimate upside, because if Beatty delivers on his promise, he has a track record, hitting for average, hitting for power, controlling the strike zone. You know, his, his pro debut focused in the Appalachian League might not have set the world on fire, but, you know, scouts and, and the Mets are impressed with the raw power that he possesses, you know, finding a way to get to that consistently. I think you'll, you'll begin to see him make some noise next year when that happens. Um, and then Allen, you know, the best high school pitcher in his class, uh, and kudos to the Mets for correctly assessing his signability because any team could have had him outside the first round and, and not blinked at, at 2.5 million, which is what he signed for. Um, so they, they properly assessed his signability. And with him, you know, he's, he's a prototype right-handed starter prospect, big fastball, big curveball, um, aptitude for a changeup, just has to work on it. Yeah, with these two players, each of them has a concern just because they are high school picks. Brett Beatty, the main concern was his age. It was 19 and a half on draft day. 
He's going to be 20 in his first full season next year. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I thought was interesting in your chat, someone raised the question about, I don't understand why it's an issue for his development path, because if he just moves quickly, it's not going to be a problem, which is correct. I think the other way to look at it, though, is you're always concerned that he was essentially a college sophomore beating up on 16 and 17-year-old high school players, and that maybe the tools weren't as prolific as the numbers indicated. He hit 624 with 19 home runs and 93 at-bats this year for Lake Travis High School in Austin, Texas, which are video game numbers. When you talk to evaluators specifically about Beatty and his age, how much confidence is there that it wasn't just a case of, hey, he just looked great because he was an older guy beating up on younger competition, that there is something really real here? Uh, it depends who you ask. I mean, the scouts who like him will point to, I'm, I'm going to use the term work, work ethic again, because he... Beatty has that, you know, he's, he's a grinding mentality type. He, you know, played three sports in high school. He's, he's more athletic than he looks. Uh, and he had a huge junior year too. He was the Gatorade um, player of the year in Texas as a junior as well, when he would have been, you know, 18. So you, you take all those factors and then now that he gets to focus solely on baseball, I think you might begin, not, not that he hasn't already unlocked the potential, but I think he can only improve from this point. And then with Matt Allen, we've talked about high school right-handers always being risky. With Allen, what is the biggest question moving forward, and what is the potential? Um, you know, setting aside the general risk that high school right-handers face navigating the minor leagues, you know, switching to a five-month season and a six-month season, you know, that, that would be a challenge for anybody. Uh, with him, I think he's not a typical – projection right-hander I mean he's already he already looks like a major league starter you know he's 6'3 225 so you can't dream on his stuff improving like you could with a typical pick so you know his stuff is plenty good now but it, it's going to have to stay at that level moving further down the Mets list it's a lot of names Mets prospect followers have known for a while Andres Jimenez Mark Vientos Thomas Sapucky then you get into Josh Wolf who was their second round pick Probably the most surprising newcomer was Kevin Smith. He's a six foot five left-hander, seventh round pick out of Georgia last year. Was not someone that was on a ton of radars coming into the year. Now he's on the top 10, surpassing former first round pick David Peterson. What did Kevin Smith show to jump into the top 10 of the Mets system this year? He has this deceptive angle and arm speed and you know, he's pretty athletic. Um, you know, his height, all, all these factors contribute to just some, some deceptiveness. You know, you saw it with his bat missing ability, especially at high A, but he did get better at double A with some, some repetition there. He allowed, I think he allowed five home runs on the season. He kept his walk rate in check. He's just one of these guys who I think the sum is greater than his parts. And I think the left-handedness, the slot, the angle, it all, help, it all helps it play up a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, we're not looking at a super high ceiling here. He's probably, probably back of the rotation or a, or a nice medium to high leverage reliever. With that, you, know, you mentioned back of the rotation. He was the Mets minor league pitcher of the year this year, got to double A. Is he someone that could be in the mix for the Mets next year? You know, I think, I think he does have that sort of mentality where he could handle the aggressive jump. You know, it would be his third pro season. And, you know, it's obviously rare for a guy taken that low in the draft to, to move that quickly, especially not as a pure reliever. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's possible, you know, Zipucky will be on the 40 man roster projected. It's his 40 man year. We'll have to add him in the next few weeks, you know, so maybe if he's healthy and pitching well, he would get first crack. But I think after that, you know, you have Walker Lockett and some other guys on the 40 man as well. But, um, you know, Smith does dominate and I think he would begin to enter the conversation. Yeah, you mentioned some of the offseason moves that are going to come up. We mentioned earlier Zach Wheeler is going to be a free agent. There are going to be some spots at the back of the rotation. The Mets have alluded to seeing if Robert Kesselman or Seth Lugo could potentially win the job, move back into a starter's role. Do you think any of the pitching prospects that will be ready within the next year or two would be better options than, say, a Gesellman or a Lugo? Or for the most part, are we looking at depth starters in guys like Kevin Smith, in guys like David Peterson, the pitchers the Mets have in the upper levels? I think what they have on hand is probably better, you know, barring some unforeseen development with one of those pitchers. Um, you know, I mean, Zabucki is the wild card because I think he is, he does have like the raw ingredients you like to see from a starter today. He just has practically zero track record because of injuries. And he had kind of a restricted workload this year, but did what well, did flash some brilliance here and there. Um, but no, I think uh, that's tough. I think, Walker Lockett plus some of the guys that they will undoubtedly be bringing in either on minor league deals or, or low cost um, major league deals. I, I wouldn't also, I would also would not discount re-signing Zach Wheeler. I think that is a priority for them. They made, they made him a qualifying offer. He has had some success in New York. Uh, you know, he obviously gets to pitch with a great rotation. So it's really up to him and the Mets getting that done. Pivoting back to this Mets top 10, David Peterson, their first round pick in 2017, wraps it up at number 10. Were there any other candidates for the back of this list or was it Kevin Smith and David Peterson by a decent margin? I think it was by a decent margin because once you get past them, you're looking at, um, you know, Walker Lockett still qualifies. Uh, Franklin Kilome, who they acquired from the Phillies, had Tommy John surgery, so he didn't pitch this year. Um, he would be somebody. Uh, Jordan Humphreys was just coming back from Tommy John. Uh, he he made his debut toward the end of the year, pitched in the Arizona Fall League. He's somebody the Mets really like. Th those are the three main guys I would have been looking at there. So with that, it seems like the Mets have some really talented young players at the top of the system, but the depth falls off a little bit. How do you kind of assess the state of the Mets system right now compared to the rest of Major League Baseball? Uh, Bottom third, when you factor in, uh, they do have promising prospects, but they don't have a lot of proximity value with any of their top guys. Uh, nobody ready to step in. But some of the guys do have trade value if they want to go that route. And I think, you know, not having a super high-end number one prospect would impact them and put them more toward closer to 20 than to 10, that's for sure. But I think it is fair to point out while there isn't a super high impact prospect maybe in the system right now in terms of someone who can make a difference within the coming year or maybe two, they have brought those guys to the majors recently, as we mentioned, Pete Alonzo, mm -hmm. Rosario, Jeff McNeil, Dominic Smith. Uh, some guys took a little longer than others like the Dominic Smiths of the world, but on the whole, they have gotten a lot of success from recent draft picks and top-ranked prospects. So it's not like they're lacking in that regard. And we look forward to seeing if Ronnie Mauricio or Francisco Alvarez or some of these other guys can follow that path and make a big impact debut for the Mets in the coming years. Matt, thank you so, so much for joining us as always. And we appreciate your insight on the Mets. 
Thanks, Kyle. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitch, or whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.